Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So good to be back with you guys again. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but hearing that little 10 minute, you know, thing, I wanted to hear the rest of that message. I, I just about say we let him finish the message tonight. Uh, but I'm glad to be back with you guys. It always feels like coming home to Calvary of Albuquerque and just being here these past few days has been so sweet and getting to bring Linya here for the first time who's never been to New Mexico. So that was a pleasure. We missed the balloons by like that much. And we were trying to describe what it would have been like to Olivia, but I don't think we quite got it. But that's for next year. Tonight, would you open your Bibles starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? We're going to be moving about tonight, but that's where we're going to begin. I've entitled this evening's message eternally tattooed eternally tattooed i don't know if you've noticed but on tv there's there's three shows right now on television all about tattooing there's a a show called la inc that's all about three women tattoo artists and then there's miami inc and that's a, a tattoo parlor in miami and then there's a show called inked as well so needless to say the tattoo trend is one that has skyrocketed in recent years getting tattoos is very popular Now, that wasn't always the case. There was a long time where tattoos were taboo in Western cultures. But this has changed drastically. Consider this. 45 million Americans have at least one tattoo. Now, I say at least one because I've seldom met a person with only one tattoo. They're so addictive, people who have them say. One out of six people in our country have them. But if you're between the ages of 25 and 29... That figure jumps to 40%. Almost half of those between that age bracket have some sort of a a piece of tattoo. So it's funny, it used to stand out to get a tattoo if you were like the lead singer of a band or a rock star to have tattoos everywhere. Now it's like if you want to stand out in a band, like I say don't get any tattoos, you'll actually look different than everybody else. But I read one uh, article in the San Francisco Gate Chronicle. The author said, tattoos have become more mainstream in America than guns are in Texas. I love that. You could add Montana to that as well. But it's not just sailors and prisoners anymore that are getting these indelible marks. In fact, I read that one of the fastest growing demographics to get tattooed in America are mothers. That's just funny to me. We used to go get tattoos that said mom. Now it's the mom in line getting the tattoo. Uh, Another quickly growing segment is very surprising, and that's senior citizens. Uh, One tattoo artist was interviewed recently, said, what's the biggest change in the industry with all this publicity and all this? And she said, the biggest surprise is how many of my clients are elderly. And they went to her shop and interviewed a woman there, Donna Gilmore, a great grandmother turning 68, and asked her, what's the deal? And she said, well, the trick to getting tattoos when you're older is to pick a part of your body that still has some elasticity in it. Wow. Well, when you wonder, what is the fascination with these marks? What is the fascination with getting a tattoo? I think it's that we don't have any say when we're born, whether our earlobes connect or not, or whether our hair is born a certain color, or we're tall, or we're short, or we have freckles, or we don't. So we love when we get to a part of our body that we can have a say in what it looks like permanently. Now, many don't see the attraction There was an interview, a survey recently, where people were asked, what do you think about people who have tattoos? 42% responded they look less attractive. 
That's not very nice. 31% said they look less intelligent. And a whopping 57% said people with tattoos look rebellious. Well, whatever your thoughts are on the issue of indelible ink, whether you're a fan of full sleeves, perhaps you one day want to be covered head to toe in tattoos like that guy on Ripley's, believe it or not, who's like a leopard or a reptile and he scampers off into the bushes. I don't really know what that's all about. Or maybe you're on the other side of the scale and and you completely are not a fan at all. I want to tell you that is not the issue this evening. We're not here to debate uh, whether they're good or bad or whether Christians should get them or Christians should not. I rather want to talk to you about markings that are much deeper than skin. Markings that go all the way to the heart. I've had you draw your attention to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3. Let's begin in verse 2 just for the sake of not interrupting a sentence. Paul writes, you are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. So Paul says it's possible for God to write on the tablets of our heart. And he, he talks about it being fleshly, not stone. So that eliminates it being a Ten Commandments thing or a thing where we could just keep the law and be good enough on our own. And then there we go, we're good enough. But he, he makes reference to the Holy Spirit. And so is speaking of the new covenant. So the question tonight we're going to ask is who is marking you? From this verse, it's clear that God's aim and end goal in your life is that you would be a living epistle, a walking around version of his word, an email of biblical proportions that's with feet, you know, God's God's heart that we would be walking around versions of of his holy scripture. This is clear both from second Corinthians and from Jeremiah 31, 33. You don't need to turn there. Let me read it to you. Jeremiah writes, but this is the covenant. That I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. So it is God's desire to have his name and word etched into the walls of your soul. Unfortunately, he's not the only one. There's a competing force in the advertising world of your life. The world would love to squeeze you into its mold and emblazon you with its logo. The enemy would love nothing more than to have you sporting his graffiti and his slogan all across your life. What we have is a contest for advertising space. Now, in the advertising world, there's a principle that's called gross impressions. Simply put, it's this. The number of times you are exposed to a message, eventually it will begin to shape your thoughts about a particular product. Makes sense. But the problem is there's only so much advertising space. So many magazine ads to buy, billboards to purchase, radio commercials to obtain, product placement to buy. You guys know that it's no coincidence when you're watching that film or TV show, what car or brand of Coke or brand of computer they're using. It's so when we're watching 24 and we see Jack Bauer pull up in the Toyota Tundra, we're like, I have got to get me one of those to be like Jack Bauer. No, to be like Jack Bauer, you've got to go to jail right now, but that's a whole other story for another day. But, you know, it, it, that's, we, we, we are shaped on how we think about things by how many times we see them. And companies are, are aware of this. I read an article on creative advertising that companies are resorting to. It says this, and I quote, Discriminating Gen Xers and Ys have the tools to tune out unwanted marketing messages 
with technology like TiVo and pop-up blockers. So it's going to take more than a one-dimensional ad campaign if we want to get their attention. We're seeing a new importance for multi-sensory marketing, appealing to customers' sense of taste, smell, sound, and touch, as these all-encompassing sensory experiences engage the consumer and have a better chance at breaking through the clutter. One company in England to do this, to break through the clutter, is renting advertising space on the foreheads of university students. I kid you not. They take a college student and pay him six pounds an hour to walk around for three hours around the university wearing a logo on his forehead. Now, I I can only imagine it won't be too long before this crosses the pond, but what a vivid illustration of a not-too-distant reality. We're told in the book of John, uh, in the book of Revelation written by John, that in the last days, during the tribulation period, this mission that that both God and the enemy are on to mark their followers will culminate in a similar demonstration where it will become visible. Revelation 13, 16 says, He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So what's happening here? At this point, the church is off the face of the earth. They've been harpazoed, raptured, caught up to be with the Lord in the air. And then all those remaining on the earth are now having a choice. Are they going to follow God even though all of his followers are off the earth? Or are they going to side with this charismatic world leader who is saying such smooth things and uniting everybody but wants everyone to wear his mark? And whatever that is, a tattoo or a microchip or whatever technology is around in that time, taking that mark will be the final rejection of God so to speak, sealing their fate forever. But I want to point out to you that their fate in that day is no different than someone today who rejects Christ all their lives and then when they die, stands before God Almighty to be judged and sent to eternal destruction. You see, only in the tribulation it will become visible. Today this marking is invisible. But we can still be dead on the inside even if we don't look like it. I read about a man in Europe a few months back who boarded a train, a subway, sat down and died. And for six hours, the train went on, making stops, collecting passengers. People got on, people got off, people even sat down beside this dead man. And then at the end of the the shift, the, the driver tried to wake the man. And then he realized that this guy was in fact dead, but he didn't look dead. You see, people today that have Satan's marking on the inside of their heart are dead on the inside, dead to God in sins, Paul says. But they don't look that way, guys. They're buying houses. They're on the cover of magazines. They're drinking cappuccinos. But in their heart of hearts, they're dead. And this distinction all comes down to the name of Jesus Christ. So I ask the question again, who's marking you? We first have to point out that we all to begin with, are marked by destruction. My first point this evening is that we've been bitten by the serpent. Bitten by the serpent. The first tattoo that we must deal with comes from a snake. This is not good news to me, because I'm like Indiana Jones. I hate snakes. And I kind of a love-hate thing, because although I'm like deathly afraid of them, 
When I'm binging at night and I come across one of those reruns of the late Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter, and his chasing down the ten most deadliest snakes, I hate it. I'm scared of it. But I also have to watch it. You know what I'm talking about? And it's crazy, this guy. Crikey. Oh, this one's a beauty. It almost going to bite me in the eye. You know, it's like, what are you doing? That's insanity. And he goes on the python and the, the cobra and they're all his beauties. And he gets to number one, the most deadliest snake in the world, the black mamba. Whoa, this guy you don't want to meet. A single bite can inject enough venom to kill between 20 and 40 grown men. They're among the fastest snakes in the world, slithering up to 12 and a half miles an hour. They're nervous. What does that mean? What do they have to worry about? Oh, I'm so poisonous. I don't get it. Well, (laughs) and when they're threatened, they're highly aggressive. What's more, they reach lengths up to 14 feet long. Well, as scary as that is to hear about king cobras and water moccasins and black mambas, any list of poisonous snakes usually omits the most dangerous of them all. That would be the serpent of old. The enemy of our souls. And through Satan's fangs, that serpent of old, we were marked by death. This is a result of the fall. Genesis chapter 3, where our first father and his wife were bitten by the serpent's lie. And for themselves and their progeny, sin was etched deep into the walls of their heart. If you're taking notes, Romans chapter 5 verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world... And death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So we are all dead on the inside. Number one, through transmission. Sin was transmitted to us. I knew of a guy who cheated on his wife and contracted the AIDS virus and then came back to his marriage bed and gave the virus to his wife who was pregnant with their second child who also contracted the virus. And they both died, all three of them. They all three died, leaving their their oldest daughter an orphan. You see that through one man's sin, death spread to an entire family. We are all sinners through transmission. And when in the Garden of Eden, that first atom bomb went off, we all contracted the SIN virus. But not just through transmission. We are also, secondly, sinners through transgression. We're not just sinners because we're not, we don't just sin because we're sinners. We're sinners because we choose to sin. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all willingly done things to break God's perfect commands. And the disastrous effect of sin in our lives is the hideous mark that it leaves behind. In Psalm 51, David begged for this mark to be scrubbed away, saying, Father, blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. We too have the stain of death on the walls of our heart. Isaiah lets us know what color it is. He says, our sins are crimson like scarlet. So our sins are scarlet. That reminds me of that book we had to read in high school by Nathaniel Hawthorne, The the Scarlet Letter. The story of Hester Prynne, a woman in 17th century Puritan New England, who it was found and determined by the town she had cheated on her husband and got pregnant out of wedlock. And so she was punished by being made to wear a red A, the scarlet letter, on the outside of all of her clothing, marking her as someone who had sinned as an adulterer. 
That shows me how far we've fallen as a country. I mean, to imagine a, a day where someone who has adultery and, and everyone, you know, thinks that a bad thing. Today, if, you know, Madonna or Paris Hilton or someone were to wear a scarlet A, you know, as a publicity son, I think it would be applauded and embraced by the secular media. But God sees through our hearts with x-ray vision. And not only does he see the A's of adultery, the H's of hatred, the L's of lust, the S's of stealing, but he also sees the death sentence that comes along with it because Satan's bite was lethal. The moment that Adam and Eve were bit that apple and, and or whatever fruit that was and, and fell from God's relationship with them, they began to die. It took Adam almost 800 years. We've sped the process up. It only takes about 80 these days unless you don't get hit by a bus. And uh, that physical death took time. Adam also spiritually died instantly. He was instantly separated in, from the perfect relationship he had with his father. And so we are all, as we are born, dead on the inside and dying physically slowly. And if nothing happens, if nothing intervenes, if we're not born again, as Jesus will later say, then to die physically is only to seal us in the state in which we already are. And so for someone who doesn't know Christ to die, they enter into eternity D-O-A, dead on arrival. It doesn't do anything. It just permanently keeps them in that state. I heard of a guy who got shot even at his own funeral. He was in the casket, lying at the front of a funeral home, and a drive-by shooting took place in the street out front. And the bullets ripped through the walls of the thin-walled uh, funeral home, through the casket, and punctured his body. Can you imagine the nerve, getting shot at your own funeral? <laughs> Can you guy even get buried peacefully? Come on. But it didn't do anything. He was already dead. Those who die without a relationship with Jesus Christ, it just permanently seals them. It doesn't really change anything. But there's good news, folks. Fortunately, those of us who have been bitten can be bleached from our sins. Tattoos can be removed. Now, traditionally, tattoo removal is costly, uncomfortable, and time-consuming. A tattoo that costs about 300 bucks can cost $3,000 to get taken off. Now, there's lots of varying reasons people will want to have a tattoo removed. You know, perhaps uh, they weren't sober when they got it done. That's a, that's a good one. I knew of a guy who had, in a, let's say, a loose evening, he had Daffy Duck put on his shoulder and then realized later, do I really want this on my shoulder for the rest of my life? I know someone else who, uh, with a friend, got matching tattoos on their feet that said, true friends in Thai, the language. And then later when someone else who actually spoke Thai read it, it's actually said real enemies. And so they forever have this mark that they really don't want. So there's lots of pe reasons people might want to have a tattoo taken off. Someone who wasn't saved might want to have clothes put on a tattoo that they got before they were a Christian. Who knows? But the technology involved is a Q-switched laser that shoots the, the, the ink under the skin. And it has to be done eight times once a month to successfully shatter the ink so it can be swept away by the lymphatic system at a rate of $39 per square inch per visit. But I read in the New York Times recently that Duke University has recently invented a new kind of ink called Freedom 2 that can be removed in just one visit. And as a result, people are anticipating these tattoo removal stores opening up all over the country like they are in California, like Tat Be Gone and Dr. Tatoff. One writer, yeah, I don't know, real clever name there, right? One writer speaking on this said, with tattoo removal chains surely to be opening up as conveniently as fast food restaurants, 
Tattooing is sure to become yet another disposable fashion accessory. Yet I can see the benefit of this. Someone had gang tattoos but was no longer in that lifestyle. I wanted to have them taken off. Or someone, you know, had uh, tats that spoke of a relationship they're no longer in. There could be a benefit to have that removed. Would you turn to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, as I want to point out to you God's divine tattoo removal. Isaiah 1, 18. We could call this freedom two as well, I suppose. Maybe freedom one. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Folks, it is God's heart to remove those marks from our lives. It was that that David praised God forewent after his adultery and committing murder. He had those marks removed and said to the Lord, Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. 1 John 1, 9 even tells us how this takes place. He says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you guys, God doesn't use a laser. He uses an eraser in the form of a cross. For it was on top of a a hill, a mountain that was shaped like a skull, a skull hill that God allowed his son to be hung from a cross, to bleed till all of his blood ran from his veins, where he died there of a broken heart, giving up his life for the wrong things that you and I have done. He didn't stay dead, though. He was buried. And three days later, he rose from the dead. If we wanted to put it this way, we could say this is the gospel according to body modification. Jesus Christ was pierced so that the tattoos of sin could be removed. And I believe we will have plenty of time to thank him for what he's done. As John makes reference to what we will see when we get to heaven, and that will be Jesus Christ as a lamb who has been slain. I believe that when we get to heaven, Jesus will still bear the marks of the crucifixion. And those will be the only man-made thing in heaven. Of all the beautiful buildings, the Eiffel Tower, the Empire State Building, the holes in his hand will be the only man-made thing that we will see there in eternity. And only through believing in him can we be saved. We see a picture of this in the book of Numbers. You know the story. The children of Israel, you've just flown over it. The children of Israel had sinned and were complaining. And in chapter 21 of Numbers, the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the Lord came to Moses The people came to Moses and cried out, saying, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Please pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who is bitten by a snake could look up at the bronze serpent and be healed. And then in John chapter 3, Jesus Christ compared himself to that brazen serpent and said, just like that snake, if you look up to me and believe upon me, you can be saved. This is the antidote. This is the only anti-venom to look to Jesus. Memorial Day of this past year, I read a family that was playing at a country club, two girls. The youngest was two years old named Ellie. Ellie and her sister were playing in the bushes. And when it came time to leave for the day, mom called out, come on, girls, come out. 
And Ellie, when she came out, she had three drops of blood coming off of one of her shins. And she wasn't screaming. She just said, ow, mommy, ow. The mom thought a thorn had scraped her in the bushes. And so she thought nothing of it, just put a Band-Aid over it and then went home. When they got home, her ankle had turned purple. So the husband thought Ellie didn't have a a, a scrape. It's, It's a sprain. So they put ice on it. An hour later, Ellie's leg began to harden. That was when they took her to the emergency room. At the hospital, it was first diagnosed as a fracture, and she came very close to having a cast put on it. But at the last moment, a doctor walked by and realized the misdiagnosis and and realized that with her leg purple up to the knee, this may have been a snake bite. And it was. A copperhead snake, a poisonous snake, had bitten her in the shin. She was immediately helicoptered to a hospital where she could be given antivenom. And underwent three surgeries in eight days. And miraculously, she suffered no permanent muscle or tissue damage. The doctor said had they caught it earlier, she wouldn't have had to have the surgeries. But had they not caught it when they did, she would have surely lost the leg or her life. Christ is the only anti-venom for the poison that is in our hearts. And through salvation with him, all of the spiritual graffiti can be washed away. Paul in Colossians 2 verse 13 says, And you, being dead in your sins and trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So God wants to wash our hearts white as snow, though they were red as scarlet. But then he doesn't want to stop there, having, having uh, bleached us from our sins. He then wants to brand us. And our third point this evening is to be branded by the shepherd. A man named Roger Rodriguez was interviewed recently. He was actually sitting in the tattoo removal shop. I think it was Dr. Tatbegon, maybe. And he was having tattoos removed that covered all of his shoulders and back. And he was asked, why are you having these all removed? He said, I began getting tattoos when I was 12 by an amateur tattoo artist. And the art's not very good. And and he said, and I quote, the back is good real estate. We are bulldozing everything so I can have a blank canvas to start over again. Now, it seems a little bit crazy to me to have all your tattoos removed just to have new ones put on. That's really his choice. But there's great theology in it. You see, folks, God looks at our souls. And he says, great real estate. I'm going to bulldoze everything that's there so I can start over again. Because once we're clean as snow, God wants to apply his own mark to our life. That's just a part of being in his flock. In John 10, verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I am known by my own. Now, the marking of flocks and herds is customary. In our day, we tag them. And there's been times where sheep and herds have been branded. Uh, where horses sometimes get tattoos on the inside of their thigh. Thoroughbreds sometimes have tattoos on the inside of their bottom lip, so owners can identify their animal. In the New Testament, it's not how it was done. Shepherds notched the tips of their sheep's ear with a circle or a squiggle or a square. There was something identifiable about about the tip of the ear, so from a distance, a shepherd could say, I know my sheep, that's mine. And Jesus said, I know my sheep, it's through a mark. I find it interesting that in the New Testament, Paul some 30 times refers to himself as a bondservant. 
a bondservant was a servant who at the end of his tenure as a slave decided, I loved my master so much. He was fair to me. He was good to me. Life with him was amazing. So though I'm free to go now, I'm going to willingly be a slave by choice. If that happened, the slave was to be taken to the doorway where his ear was to be pierced and that was to mark him as a slave forever. And that's how Paul said he belongs to God, a slave by choice. I am a bondservant. So that is how we're marked. So God knows us. So it's a mark of ownership. Secondly, it's a mark that we're sealed. God's mark he puts on us. Ephesians 1 verse 13, Paul says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now that word he used to describe the Holy Spirit as a guarantee can also be translated earnest, which would be in the modern equivalent of our culture, a diamond engagement ring. God has not only marked us with an earring, but he's also marked us with a diamond ring. The Holy Spirit is the diamond ring engagement of our marriage to Christ. He's the promise that there is more to come. So what does it look like? Having the Holy Spirit in your life. Uh, what does it mean to, to have him there a part of your life? How can you know if you have him? Well, Paul says the telltale signs will be the fruit. The Spirit always likes fruit. He's a healthy eater. And so the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So God marks us not only with the, the ring, uh, the, the, the earring, not only with the ring, the spirit in our lives working out with fruit, but he also wants us to become living epistles. That's where we bring our attention back to 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. Could you go back there now? Maybe you never left. 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of, st of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. In Paul's day, when he wrote this, this little work to the, city of, the church in the city of Corinth, there were those Judaizers who would go around with reference letters. Kind of like we would fill out a, uh, get a reference letter filled out when we were applying for a college. They had reference letters saying how smart they were. And so they would carry these around and, and they touted legalism to Christians. They prayed on young Christians. And they said, look how wise we are. And, and Paul was teaching. They said, where's your reference letter? Paul said to the church at Corinth, I don't need to carry a letter saying how smart I am. You want a letter? Look at the church at Corinth. They're my reference letter. Though they live in such a pagan, such a hostile to the gospel climate a place that rejects morals and rejects absolute truth, a place that there's temple prostitutes and people giving their lives to all sorts of idols. The Corinthian church is living purely, walking with Jesus. That's the reference letter. He says, we now walking with Christ, we're living epistles. The Holy Spirit has written God's word on our hearts. So we are meant then to be living out the truth in this book. It's been said this way. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the things that you do and the things that you say. Others read that gospel, whether faithless or true. Say, friend, what is the gospel according to you? So this writing, God's written on our hearts, is meant to be lived out openly and not hidden. I read about a girl who is an accountant at a law firm. 
wanted to get tattoos on her wrists and arms, but was afraid there might be repercussions at work. So she had invisible tattoos uh, done on her arms. That's where they tattoo with ink that only shows up under black lights. So that by day, she could be in a pantsuit at the law firm, going about her tidy business. And at night at the, at the dance clubs, it would be, you know, and she would be crazy <laughs> tattoo girl, you know, full sleeves and all, all the rest. I think that some people, some Christians, try to have God's mark on their lives only secretly. They're undercover Christians. You know, it's like Lambo, the CIA lamb, you know, and they want to, at church, they're here, they're on Sunday, they're even out on a Wednesday night, they're listening maybe even to podcasts, but in front of their friends, in front of their coworkers, they're not prepared to live for Jesus Christ yet. Let me challenge you with this. Jesus Christ died for you publicly. He died on a hill with all sorts of gawking and jeering crowds who are sneering and shooting off their lips at him. He wants you to live publicly for him. William Barclay said, and I quote, Knowing that we are living epistles is at once an inspiration and an awful warning. Every man is an open letter for Jesus Christ. Every Christian, whether he likes it or not, is an advertisement for Christianity. The honor of Christ is in the hands of his followers because men judge Christ by those who claim his name. And the sobering words have been said that the greatest handicap the church has is the unsatisfactory lives of professing Christians. So we need to live publicly for Christ. But we come back to the question we asked at the first. Who's marking you? What is on your heart? Notice I didn't ask, are you marked? For all have something written on their soul. But what is there? Whose name is written? The number one reason people in Americans who when interviewed and asked, do you regret your tattoos? The number one reason given when people said yes was the name. The name of someone I don't love anymore. The name of someone who no longer loves me. Folks, don't die with the wrong name on your heart. We are a brand-oriented culture. We love it. Pepsi or Coke, Visa or MasterCard, Mac or PC. But a far more important question than what logo is on your laptop is whose logo is on your life. Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Have you allowed him to write his name on your heart, to write his word on your life? Some don't even realize that they're in trouble. We talk about being bitten by a serpent. Some are like that little girl with venom in their leg going into their veins, damaging their lives. But they don't realize that. They just think, just a band-aid of good works, just an ice pack of a little bit of religion. I know there's an ache in my heart, something's wrong, but if I could just get the right relationship, if I could, you know, just the next high, and it's always just out of reach. The next party, the next girl, the next time you sleep with someone, it's going to go away then. So we look at more pornography, we do more things, and, and the ache doesn't go away. Because we need to look to Jesus. It's the only thing that can save us. And it's not just those who look outwardly bad that need to come to Christ. We can easily say, oh, it's just the, the hell's angels and the, the gang bangers. But it's the soccer moms and investment makers too. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So all need to repent and come and be saved. Because we're all going to die someday. That's the sobering reality. Even those who seem like they're invincible. We mentioned in this message Steve Irwin, the late crocodile hunter. A guy who seemed invincible. I mean, he handled and it was exposed to the most dangerous creatures on the planet and yet died with one of the most docile animals ever. A week before he died, I was snorkeling with 
stingrays in, in, in Central America. And yet, we're all going to die someday. We have to accept that fact. And when we stand before God to be judged, the only question that's going to be asked is, what name's on our lives? Have we accepted Jesus Christ or not? I believe perhaps there's some here tonight who want their sins to be forgiven who would want those tattoos of old lifestyles and old things and, and, and old sins to be scrubbed off their hearts and have Jesus Christ write his name on your life tonight. If that's the case, choose to respond to the Holy Spirit this evening. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time in your word. Thank you, Father, that you're willing for us to, to become living epistles, that we might be examples of your love wherever we go. And Father, I thank you for the bright light that Calvary of Albuquerque is in this city and in this state and in this world. And I pray for these precious believers who I love dearly, that you would help them to be powerful examples, shining brightly their light so that men may see and and glorify God. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.